Have you ever wondered, does God have more in store for me? How many of you in the room have asked that question? You've been driving home or you're daydreaming in school or you're procrastinating at work and you've asked yourself, I wonder if God has more. Anybody in the room? Does God have more in store for my life? And then you stumble across one of about 200 verses in the Bible that say something like 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, which says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive the great things that God has in store for you? That's the answer. The answer is yes. So the feeling that was within you is confirmed from the scriptures. And so then the next question is, is, okay, well, how? If God has more in store for me, how do I get that? How, How can I get all that God has in store for me? And the answer for that is, is the discovery takes place through the revelation of God's word. Throughout God's word, God tells you, I have more for you. And God tells you how I'm going to give you more and how you can have more in your life. So the discovery then for more in your life always comes back to the scriptures. Now, this is what everybody has to do. Everybody has to figure out, what am I going to do with the Scriptures? Do I think they're from God? Do I think they're relevant? Do I think they're not relevant? Do I think a bunch of good people kind of got together and put some good stories together? Everybody in the room has to decide philosophically what you believe about the Bible. Because what you believe will result in your activity. Your actions always come from what you believe. So what you believe about the scriptures will result in the activity for your life. Basically, everybody falls into one of two camps when it comes to the Bible. Those that are from the Judeo-Christian ethics and values, and that would be most of us in this room, we actually believe that um, God used 40 different authors over a period of about 1,500 years And that during the course of that time, God wove together a message that he has for us through the scriptures. And it's life for us. So what do we do with this? Well, again, one camp says, I think it's from God. Now, here's what I want to say to you this morning. If you can swallow the first verse of the Bible, you can pretty much believe all the rest. If you can handle and get your mind around the very first verse of the Bible, I think the rest of the Bible is downhill. Because here's what God says. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the very first three words say this, in the beginning, right? And so God is trying to communicate to us how it all got started. This is plan A. This is how I did it. This is where I worked in the beginning. Now, you and I can't really get our minds around that either because we are finite. We are not infinite. But an infinite God said in the beginning, and then what's the fourth word? The word God. In the beginning, God. So again, God is saying, I always was. I always existed. There never was a time where I wasn't. I am. And I will be, and I will always be. Now, that's hard for us to understand. But the Bible, if you can get this first verse, the rest of the Bible is a piece of cake. In the beginning, God, what? 
created. If you can grasp the first five words of the Bible, the rest of the Bible should be a piece of cake for you. But that's the challenge. In the beginning, God. Now, this word for God is the Hebrew word Elohim. It's a cool word. Say Elohim. Elohim. Say Elohim. Elohim. You did that pretty Jewish. That was pretty good. That was good. And Elohim is a word that stands for plural and for strength. There's the plurality of the Godhead and their strength. El means plural, and Him is the strength. And so in Elohim, already we find the Trinity. By the fourth word of the Bible, God is revealing the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, Elohim. And Elohim is a word that means I create. In the beginning, Elohim creates. And then you know what happens. You got the rest of chapter one, and day one we do this, and day two we do this, and day three we do this, day four we do this, and you understand then the order of creation. Now that's the first camp. And the first camp would say, we believe that God put this Bible together. In the beginning, I don't understand the beginning, I can't get to the beginning, I wasn't there at the beginning, but in the beginning, God Elohim, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, they speak, and there's a creation. And this this Hebrew word Elohim means I can create out of nothing. I don't need material to make something. I am ex nihilo. I create something out of nothing. It's a great Hebrew word. Ex nihilo. I create something out of nothing. Now, if you can believe that, isn't the rest of the Bible kind of easy? No? Yes? No? You're fasting. You can't think right now. You're, you're weak, okay? Now, the other camp, the other camp is, is really more of the 1800s where, where Charles Darwin um, began to, to create doubt and create this th- called this theory of evolution. In the 1800s, Charles Darwin comes up with this, and it's, it's a theory, And so this theory now is being taught on colleges and high schools and universities all over the world. And it's a theory. But before we get too hard on Charles, I actually feel kind of sorry for him. And I want to tell you why. Charles Darwin was just trying to make sense out of life. And what happened in Charles Darwin's life is he lost several children. He and his wife had several children. Several of them died. And when his 10-year-old daughter Annie died... Annie died when she was 10 of tuberculosis. And when Annie died, something got broken inside of poor Charles Darwin. He was so upset, he couldn't even go to her funeral, and he didn't. He did not go to his 10-year-old's daughter's own funeral. He was just so distraught. And so he's a botanist, and he's studying finches, these birds. And he's just trying to make some kind of sense out of life because it doesn't make sense for him for there to be a world where there's so much pain and suffering where little children die. We all understand that. Now his wife, she never lost her faith. And his wife, devout Christian, so upset on some of his writings. But but Charles Darwin, before we too hard on the on the, the guy, he was just trying to make sense out of life and he couldn't put those pieces together and he comes with, up with a theory. And his theory was basically based on enough time. If you have enough time, something will create, something will move, something will evolve, something will erupt. Just give it enough time, something will become nothing will will become something. But you're intelligent people in the room. 
you know that something doesn't become greater. If you have a beautiful garden in your backyard and you leave it alone, does it become more beautiful? If you're a farmer in Indiana and you have a beautiful cornfield one year and you don't plant the field the next year, what do you have? You have rogue corn things coming up. You have a couple of little thistles shooting up. After four or five years, you got to bush hog the thing even to plant corn or soybeans, right? So, so we all get that. If I got a watch, it's got a hundred parts to it. And we take all hundred parts of the watch completely apart and we put it in a little box. And we start shaking that box and we start shaking that box and we start shaking that box. The theory of evolution is given enough time, all those pieces of a watch will all come together and it will tell perfect time in about 40 billion years. I'm a pretty good salesman. I can't sell you on that today, can I? Because we know that's not how things work. And so in this theory of evolution, there are some inconsistencies that even Charles Darwin didn't know what to do with. Let me show you three quick sentences. But there's no proof of a consistent direction. In other words, fish never became a reptile. There's no evidence of any fish ever evolving to a reptile. Number two, there's no explanation for complexities. Even Charles Darwin said, I don't know what to do with the eye. There's no way the eye could have ever evolved. It would have taken billions and billions and billions of years, and there's no way that the eye could have just kept progressing. said the same thing about the kidney. These are just two of your organs in your bodies. And then number three, there's, there's, there's no records of any fossils. There's no records that, that confirm uh, the, the theory of evolution. So let me just say this. If evolution is true, you're an accident. If evolution is true... There's no such thing as right or wrong. It's just the survival of the fittest. If evolution is true, then your life just really doesn't matter. But the Bible says there's more in store for you. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive the great things that God has in store for you. And so you kind of got to figure out what you're going to do with this. I'm going to, yep, I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to adhere to it. I'm going to surrender to it. I'm going to fall underneath it. Or I'm going to kind of try to make sense out of life on my own. And a lot of people have chosen to put their faith and their values in, in the scriptures and in the God of the Bible. You have to decide that. You have, as a church, we're going to, give you the, the Bible app for you to download as a church. We've got reading pro programs for you all year long. As a church, we believe this habit of reading the scriptures every single day, whether it's the beginner level, the moderate level, or the intense level, we don't care. We've got five of these on the app. There's five of these for five days, because if you miss two, you can catch up. But you can just download. I downloaded this app this morning at about 6 o'clock. It took me less than 30 seconds to download. If I can do this, everybody in the room can do this. Okay, But you have to decide what, what you're going to do with this. So the, the accounts of creation are pretty interesting. There's two different accounts of creation, chapter 1 and chapter 2. And in chapter 1, we've got this chronological order of creation. And in chapter 2, we've got more of a topical uh, discussion about the creation of man and woman. In chapter 1, it's the wide-angle lens but in chapter 2, it's the zoom lens. Chapter 2, we zoom in on the creation of man and the creation of woman. And so with the wide-angle lens in the chronological order, 
I don't know if it's 24 hours. I don't care. I don't, I won't get into that discussion. Who cares? I can accept the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void. And the Spirit of God hovered over the earth. And then God created out of nothing, ex nihilo. And God spoke. And when God spoke, there was light. And so we've got day one and day two and day three and day four and day five and day six. And we get to the back half of day six. Everything before that, God said, it's good. The sun's good. The moon's good. The water's good. The dry ground's good. The vegetation's good. The cattle's good. And then God does this. He takes the dust of the earth and he forms and he fashions a man. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. God made the first man, Adam, and he breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. And then God in chapter 2 was so strategic. He has Adam name every single one of the animals. I just picture Adam out on some big rock somewhere. Hippopotamus. Come Next one, giraffe. You know, the next one, he's running out of creativity, cat, dog, you know, whatever it is. He's tired at this point. And he's just naming all these animals. And he's discouraged because there's nobody suitable. There's nobody attractive. There's nobody that's like him but, but uniquely different. And so God performs the first anesthesia, if you will, causes man to fall into a deep, deep sleep, and he forms and fashions one of takes one of the ribs and forms and fashions a woman. And when Adam woke up, the Hebrew translation says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. But here's what I think Adam was thinking. Oh, baby, where have you been all my life? That's what he was thinking, guys, right? Are you with me on that? And so here's this incredible story of creation. In the beginning, God. Created the heavens and the earth. And so you're in this story. Because by the time we get to chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, he says again, there's the plurality of the Godhead. Look at this. The plurality of the Godhead. Let us. You ever notice the us in Genesis 1, 26? Who's the us? It's the Father. It's the Son. It's the Holy Spirit. Let us make mankind in our image. Don't miss this. It's the whole point of today as we start the year. You were made in the image of God. Every male, every female, every, every man, woman, boy, girl, everybody. God decided, I don't know why, but up to this point, everything was good. But when he does this, he says it is very good, very good. And he creates us, mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea. I love that verse. And the birds in the sky over the livestock and over the wild animals and over all the ground, the creatures that move along the ground. And look at verse 27. So, so he did it. I thought it. Let's do it. Let's get together. Let's make it happen. And God does it. So God created. Who's God? Elohim. Elohim created mankind in his own image. Now, don't miss this. In the image of God, he created them male and female. Male and female. He created what? Them. You are made in the image of God. And if you don't understand that, you're headed for a train wreck. If you don't embrace that, 
you're going to drive right off the cliff. If you don't understand what that means, that you and I are created and made in the image of God, we will never have more. And does God have more in store for you? Yes. The answer is yes. So all's going great in chapter 1. Things are rocking right along in chapter 2. Things couldn't be much better. Genesis 1, Genesis 2. Things are good. Things are good. Then we come to Genesis what? 3. In Genesis chapter 3, it's called the fall. And in the fall, we lost our image. In the fall, your identity got hacked. In the fall, your identity got stolen. In the fall, there was what's known as identity theft and there's not a single thing you could do about it. LifeLock couldn't fix it. Secure wireless connections aren't going to fix it. Changing your password every half hour is not going to fix it. Firewalls aren't going to fix it. There's nothing you could do. Your identity got stolen, hacked, destroyed, deceived, and you and I are in trouble. And that's your greatest problem. And that is my greatest problem. Our greatest problem today is not ISIS. Our greatest problem is not who's going to be the next president of the United States. Our greatest problem is not our health. Our greatest problem is not the future of our children. Our greatest, it's not your mother-in-law. I've got news for you. She may look like the Antichrist, but she's not, okay? She might. Your greatest problem is your identity has, I'll get in trouble for that. Don't send me any emails on that either, all right? It's your identity. Your identity got stolen. It got hacked. It got destroyed. And you and I are in trouble because we're trying to find our identity. And we're pedaling as fast as we can. We're trying to show everybody how great we are, how smart we are, how educated we are, how much money we have, how much property we own. We're we're striving for our identity. Every man, every woman in this room has an identity crisis. So what do we do? What can we do? Well... We see some hints of this, even in those early chapters of Genesis. By Genesis chapter 3, there they got the fig leaves on, right? Because we're naked and we're ashamed. And who told you you were naked? And why would you have done? And so even by the end of that chapter, we kind of get a foreshadowing of what God's going to do. He has to take some blood. He takes some animals and he, he destroys some animals. He takes some blood and makes some covering, some skin, some covering for Adam and for Eve. And so what does God do then? God begins to send priests. He begins to send judges. He begins to send prophets. He begins to put in place some kings. And finally, God brings his son. His son. From the, before the foundation of the earth... The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit knew exactly what they were going to have to do so that you and I could get our identity back. And so without understanding that Jesus Christ saved you, without understanding that Jesus Christ can forgive you, without understanding that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life, without understanding that Jesus Christ is the door without understanding that Jesus Christ is the great I am, without understanding that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, you will never find your identity. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how much money you make. 
I don't care how many people you help. It doesn't matter what you do. Unless you find Christ, you will never find your identity. Your identity is completely wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And so he's the restorer of your life. And so you can go with the scriptures or you can go with Charles Darwin. You basically have two different approaches. You can go with the scriptures and the two billion people today who've pledged their faith and their life in Jesus Christ. Or you can go with what your college English professor said, how she made fun of the Bible, how she made fun of Christians. And you don't know the backstory to her life. We've all had people in, in, in our lives who've made fun of the Bible, made fun of Christianity. We don't know the backstory. After 34 or 35 years in the ministry, here's what I figured out. People don't have an intellectual problem with this book. They have a moral problem with this book. People who reject this book really don't want to surrender to anybody or anything. It's really a, a, a moral issue, a submission issue, rather than an intellectual issue. So here's what Colossians says. You can go with Charles Darwin or you can go with what Colossians chapter 1 says. Here's what it says. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's how you get your identity back. I want to show you eight quick things on your bulletin. If you're a note taker, I'm going to give you eight quick blanks about your identity. You can take these home this week, put them on a refrigerator, your mirror, or, or even put them in your journal, in your phone. Take notes on your phone. So here we go. Number one, this is your identity. You are created in the, in the image of God. We've been talking about that now for about 15 minutes. Genesis chapter 1. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. All right? Number two, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You see, Psalm 139, verse 14, helps us with our security. You know how you can always tell if a man's insecure? By how he talks. You know how you can always tell if a woman's insecure? By how she dresses. What does a man do? A man that's insecure is always talking about himself. A man that's insecure is always talking about how great he is, all the things he's done, all the things he's accomplished. Just listen to a man talk and you can rate his level of insecurity. You know, you can tell if a woman's insecure, watch how she dresses. If she's insecure, she'll have too many clothes on or she'll not have enough clothes on. Do not ask me any more questions. We're done with that. Okay. <laughs> Number, next one. We're done. We're, we're moving on, baby. We're going forward. You are loved. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loved you. God loved you so much he gave his only son for you. I can't fathom that. I can't get my hands around that. But he did. 
Look at the next one. You are worth a sacrifice. First John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and for our sisters. You see, when, when we got our right identity, we're willing to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We understand who we are and whose we are. Look at the next one. You're a friend of Christ. John 15, 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Look at the next one. You're in the will. You're in the will, friends. Romans chapter 8 says this. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in the sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Just a couple more. Here we go. You are God's temple. You're made in his image and you are God's temple. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Don't you know? That you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. I got just one more. You still with me? One more. Here we go. One more. You are more than a conqueror. Romans chapter 8, 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written... For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine if you began to live your life with the vision of that my identity is in God and my identity has been restored? What, what, how would you feel? How would you feel tomorrow? If you go to work or you go to school or whatever you do tomorrow, how would you feel knowing I don't have to pedal faster to be somebody? I don't have to tell everybody how great I am to, to, be, to feel good. I, I don't have to, to brag about things happened back, you know, if I was a jock, you know, 100 years ago. You, you don't have to do that. How would you feel tomorrow? Just going out into, into the world, how would you feel knowing I'm a child of the king? I'm a, I'm a daughter of the king. I'm a son of the God most high. I'm his boy. I'm his man. How would you feel? How would you think tomorrow? Can you imagine how you would think tomorrow? It wouldn't be, oh, poor pitiful me. I can't believe I've made all these mistakes. I should do better. I got to be better. Oh, my gosh. I've been forgiven. I've been cleansed by the blood at Calvary. I, I am. Can you imagine how you would think tomorrow? Can you imagine how you would talk tomorrow? If you embrace this. How you would talk to your parents. How you would talk to your teachers. Can you imagine how you would talk to the people that you interact with? Can you, can you imagine just loving the people that you meet tomorrow, just loving them. You're not working them. You're not trying to get anything from them. You're just loving the people that are around. Can you imagine what your life would be like? How you would feel, how you would think, how you would love the people that are around you? We lost our identity in Genesis chapter 3. And God knew that we'd try to get it back. 
man, we'd work so hard to be big and bad and famous and popular, and we try to get, but we couldn't get it back. So he sent us Jesus, and Jesus died on a cross to forgive us. Your identity is in Christ. Your identity is not in your role. I'm a preacher. That's not my identity. If I never preached another sermon, that's not my identity. My identity is I'm a free, forgiven son of the king. That's my identity. If you're a woman, you're a daughter. You're a daughter of the king. Here's what 1 Peter says about us. 1 Peter says this. We're a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We are God's special possession. That we may declare. You see, people who understand their identity, we're declaring His praises. We're not trying to get the center of the attention of every conversation. Life's not about us. We are declaring the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His amazing light. You are a daughter and a son of the King. That's who you are. That's your identity. Embrace the identity that He's destined for you. So yes, when you're driving and when you're procrastinating and when you're coming home from work and you're going, is there more? Yes, there's more. It's all in here. (laughs) And this will lead you to Jesus. And this will lead you to light. And this will lead you to truth. And this will lead you to forgiveness. And you'll know that you've arrived when you stop having to try to draw the attention to yourself. You'll know that you've arrived. I've embraced my identity when I walk in the peace and the power that God's given me. You'll know you've arrived. And that's what the Spirit will do in your life. Yes, there's more. You bet there's more. He has so much more in store for you. More than you could ever dream or more than you could ever imagine. But it starts with a relationship with Christ. And so we're going to give you that opportunity this morning. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front. I'm going to ask us all to stand up right now. If you've never given your life to Jesus, this is the place to begin. You come down front. You tell a prayer partner, help me. I want to cross over and give my life to Jesus. But most of you in the room are Christians. And so I want to, again, I want to encourage you to do the fast. It's 21 days. It may be coffee. It may be beer. It may be whatever it is for you, okay? But it means something to you. And you pick something or some things that mean something to you, and you fast for 21 days, and every time you get hungry, or maybe it's your routine at night to do something, and you stop eating the popcorn or whatever it is. One of the young men, I was kind of, kind of cool. I tried to figure out how to work my way into the conversation. He said, coffee and popcorn. He knew exactly what his love was and what he was going to give up. Coffee and popcorn. I love that. What, what, What means something to you? And for 21 days, Lord, I hunger and thirst for you more than I do for popcorn or whatever it is you, pretzels, okay? If you're the pretzel guy, I don't want to know who you are, okay? Um, read the Bible. If you don't have a smartphone, go on the computer. The Bible readings are there. Start with the beginner level. Start with the, the, the easiest one. If you're not a Bible reader, start with the beginner one. About five or six years ago, one of our elders was asked this question, what's the best translation of the Bible to read? 
And the answer, what's the best translation of the Bible? That was the question. What's the best translation of the Bible? The answer was classic. The one you read. Read it. And we're going to do this all year long. And guess what? We're going to grow in our faith all year long. To the King, the eternal, immortal, invisible, the only true God, be glory forever and forever. We embrace Christ. We embrace that we're made in your image. And may we live powerfully in your image. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.